0: Welcome to the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence based research and cutting edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubbs.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to season three of the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast, where we share evidence based insights from world leading experts to inform your practice. We're hitting the home stretch here in summer, a time when a lot of people are starting to ramp up their running training in preparation for a final event, or perhaps you are actually starting your prep for a marathon in the fall. Either way, I'm excited to be speaking today with renowned running coach Rayjean Chasson of Pace and Mind in Toronto. In this episode, Coach Rayjean discusses preparation for a marathon the fundamentals of training you need as a beginner as well as intermediate or advanced. He'll talk about the common mistakes that he sees at all levels and how marathon prep for intermediate and advanced runners differs from working with beginners. Coach Rajon also talks about the ideal training volume and intensity, what separates elite and pro runners to be the best of the best, And of course, how many years does it really take to become elite? Coach Rajan also shares some recovery strategies, tips on fueling during training and competition, and perhaps most importantly, the mental side of running. As usual, you can find the links and the podcast summary in the show notes at drbubscom forward slash podcast. If you're interested in more on the topic of running and marathons, then you'll want to circle back to season two episode 36 on fueling endurance and body composition periodization with Dr. Trent Stellingworth. Or season one, episode 42 with the renowned professor Tim Noakes on the lore of running, hydration, and increasing longevity. Fantastic. This episode is sponsored by my new book, Peak, the new science of athletic performance that is revolutionizing sports. You can check out all the expert Blurbs and insights at athleteevolution.org. That's athleteevolution.org. And we're also getting some nice feedback on social media, Instagram, Twitter. At SunSportCoach recently saying, Enjoying listening and reading at Dr. Bub's book, Peak. Good for academics and keen athletes, in my opinion. Does a great job of summarizing current sports science research into bite-sized chunks. Fantastic, appreciate the feedback. You can hashtag go peak and send us your feedback and what you think from my new book. Terrific, before we start, a quick word from this episode's sponsor, Totem Sport. Totem Sport is the world's only 100% natural supplement. The only sport drink supplement that contains all 78 naturally occurring minerals and trace elements. Totem Sport is the evolution of hydration. The world's only 100% natural sport drink. Tested and approved by Informed Sport and Informed Choice. You can use the promo code BUBS10, B-U-B-B-S-10, at checkout and save 10% at TotemSport.com and defy the norm. All right, let's do this. Season 3, Episode 27. Enjoy. Rajan, thanks uh, so much for taking the time today.
0: Thanks a lot for having me.
1: Well, listen. Before we jump into talking all about marathon prep and you know your experiences in terms of at the elite level as well as with coaching athletes, can you tell listeners a little bit more about your background?
0: Uh, yeah, like uh, I mean, if I start very early on uh, growing up, I was more of a hockey player, um, and I, I start running a lot later um, in my early twenties. So, but like, yes, yeah, I started playing hockey at five. Uh, it's just really when uh, I joined the army and when I was nineteen that uh, I start running a little bit just because I, I had to, because of the military. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, and it just kind of came naturally. So I, I did always enjoy it for some reason, but I never like ran in high school or anything like that. I'm, I'm from the sticks in New Brunswick, so um, we didn't have like a track team or anything like that. It really was just uh, hockey and soccer.
1: And then at what point uh, in your career there did you start to get the bug and, and realize that this is something you wanted to dive into a little further?
0: Yeah, well, I, got, um, I was injured um, in 2004, um, and I, I missed my tour to, uh, to Haiti, um, and just all my buddies left Haiti and all that stuff, and uh, this group of guys that had a little running team just asked me to go for a run with them, since I, they knew I did well on my physical fitness tests. Um and went out for a run, and they're like, yeah, yeah you're, you're sure you don't train for this? Um, like yeah no not at all they're like you're pretty good you should like you know get in touch with a coach and all that stuff and uh yeah that's kind of how it started and it was like a very slow start those first few years um you know I was doing the typical beginner mistakes and always getting injured and stuff like that but it's really just when I moved to um Ottawa in 2006 that um you know it seems like it increased like my interest in it got a higher and higher, and I started being a little bit more competitive uh, locally, and I really enjoyed that.
1: And was there a certain distance that you started with, Rajan, in terms of uh, you know, competing, or did you get straight into the marathons? How did that play out?
0: No, it took quite a few years before I got to the marathon. Um, say like when I started in 2004 in New Brunswick, I was running with this like, little uh, military team, which was mostly kids of military uh, members. So they did a lot more track work. So um, so I was actually doing 1,500 and 3,000 on a track, nice. uh, which I'm, I'm pretty bad at on, on the shorter stuff. I'm definitely not a track runner. Um, but it was, it was a good way to get things going. Yeah, I'm very happy that I didn't start right away in the marathon. Um, and so, yeah, that was 2004, and it took until 2011 before I did my first marathon. So in those... Early and middle years, I was really focusing more on uh, 5K, 10K, and half marathon.
1: Nice. And and now, if you know, if we use that as a jumping-off point here, to talk a little bit about some of the work you do with your clients. I mean, if you're, if we start at the beginner level, let's say, you know, what are some of the principles, or you know, perhaps your training philosophy when you're trying to coach a beginner up to do a, let's say, 5K, 10K, or even a half marathon
0: um really for the most part is just to get them in some good habits um so like I, I really try to get them in a mentality to not rush too much often with beginners they're really eager to get get things going they're motivated um but yeah i try to get them to you know get into doing some some strength work some mobility um and then I try to attack uh, some frequency with their running and to keep those pretty short. But just to like, yeah, build the frequency as, and that will depend quite a bit, depending on the athletic level, whether it's someone who, who has played sport their whole life, even if it wasn't running, um, or versus someone who is like literally from the couch is, is trying to, to get into running or any kind of fitness uh, activity, so. Yeah, in the early stages it's just getting getting used to running and getting the body used to running and making sure that they're healthy and everything. And then we from there we start increasing the volume, intensity, uh, even paying attention to nutrition.
1: Yeah, it is amazing in terms of uh, you know, obviously the you know, six, seven, eight times body weight coming down every time the, the foot comes down with running. Something that I learned from Trent Stellingworth and you know, for yourself when you talk about these frequencies with with your new runners, is this um, you know how short would those sessions be? And is there a certain frequency that you're looking at through the week to try to get those exposures in?
0: Yeah, well, again, this can vary quite a bit. Um, you know, and I'm going to say typically somewhere between three to four runs is pretty uh, usual to see with runners, so that they can have a recovery day in between each one of those runs, um, and they'll be. Early on, it could be twenty to thirty minutes. Um, it, it's very easy to to forget that it takes way longer for like ligaments uh, and all your connective tissues it takes longer for those to to get used to running more than your your muscles. Um, so often, people even if they're able to run pretty fast, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that like their their body is ready for the impact. So so yeah, try to keep it to like three maybe four runs a week and keep those to about 30 minutes or so um and and in there i I might add in like some strides and some drills to kind of like ease in the transition into intensity Um, but for the most part i try to keep those at a very easy uh effort level
1: terrific i mean when you talk about some of those drills that you might use you know let's imagine now yeah you're building out this beginner into maybe a 10 K or a half marathon or trying to increase their volume, what type of drills or things that you would do to introduce either more volume or more intensity? Uh,
0: uh, sorry. So like it, what kind of drills I would introduce?
1: Yeah. How do you, what, what kind of drills do you typically go to to help athletes? Um, you know, beginners who are coming into the 10 K half marathon yeah. for the first time to build up that intensity.
0: Uh, I mean, the the simple ones are like the A, B, and Cs, um, and as of lately, especially, I've been focusing more on kind of like the A and Cs, which is like the, the high knee and the butt kicks, mm-hmm. that people call them, because uh, they're pretty simple drills to do. Um, most people have done a form of it, even if I find often there's... Um, They might not be doing it the proper way, um, but like I just you know fine tune a little bit how they do their drills and and really focus on those, and and, you know the power to the ground and your tendons, Achilles tendons specifically to like get used to that that impact to the ground being explosive, Um, and it's also a great way to build strength in lower legs um, overall. You know if you have that and then you add in a few strides possibly on hills, um, it's a great way to make a runner stronger without putting too much impact on the body?
1: Nice. Yeah, it's not exactly always intuitive, is it, for beginners when they go through these drills and just the you know the sensation, the feeling of the foot contact on the ground and, and, and that idea of having some explosiveness is doesn't always come easy for folks, does it?
0: No, some some folks have been been out of like explosive movements like that for, for a very long time. Uh, it, it's different if you're you're coming from a, an athletic background whether it's soccer football or, or anything really um, you know that will come a little bit more naturally uh, but if it's someone who's you know kind of hasn't been active since since high school maybe it's been 10 15 20 years since they've uh, done much explosive then yeah it, it will take a, a little while to get used to it
1: and if we shift gears here a little bit and talk about maybe an intermediate runner that's preparing for let's say a half marathon and building up the miles you know what would a sample training week or even an overarching training block look like for for those folks
0: yeah for for those runners well we can start being a little bit more specific whereas like the the beginner runners it's really just to get them running, but for intermediate and advanced, like then we can get more specific with intervals, with long runs. Uh, in terms of frequency, uh, they might be running five to seven days a week, um, and there's even some that will have some doubles in there. Um, I'm am a huge fan of doubles when possible. Um, I know that's more of a hot, you know a more advanced level, um, and sometimes it's even an issue time wise to fit in, but. I Find it, it helps a lot again to build that frequency in, and it can even help to, to recover from the harder efforts. Um, so and those doubles sometimes there are even cross training, so I, I love putting in some spinning, uh, elliptical, pool running, it's all great tools to put into your overall um running training. Um, to and running. Then,
1: yeah, and as the you know, an intermediate runner as you're building out this volume, are there certain benchmarks that you're looking for in terms of um, whether it's, you know, total, total distances covered or in terms of the intensity of some of the, the shorter sessions that you're trying to achieve and to prepare for a half marathon?
0: Um, for a half marathon. I mean, if, if someone's like more, like I definitely like, for Sure, more than like 50 kilometers a week is starting to be a good place to be, uh, but again, that can be a very wide range, anywhere from from 50 to you know, the, there's some that will run up to 150 plus kilometers a week. Um, wow. but it, but overall, you know, it's kind of like I like sticking to the 80 20 percent rule mm-hmm. uh, where you have 80 like percent of your volume is at a pretty easy, pretty easy, uh effort and then 20% or so is that higher intensity
1: and that seems to be one of those rules that a lot of beginners tend to to break or even intermediates in terms of you know perhaps running faster than they realize they're running or being a bit more uh, glycolytic versus really building that aerobic base and going slow enough to kind of build that up is that you know something that you see and how do you help coach them up to be able to keep it in that aerobic zone
0: yeah, it's, it's, that can be a very big challenge with uh, when newer runners. Um, they'll go way too fast on their easy runs. Um, so often, like yeah, I try to turn the easy runs into more of like a whole social thing um, and learn them to, to enjoy the process and to you know have some nice scenic routes. Uh, yeah, run with people that maybe their fitness levels a little lower than than they are. Um, nice. And uh, yeah, some some people with you know I, I'm not a huge fan of using heart rate monitors during training, but if there's one place that I do like them it's for easy runs, um, and that can be like a good way for some people just to have the visual cue of seeing, you know, to keep their heart rate say lower than than 140 or whatever their easy effort is, um, that can be a, a good way to help them doing that.
1: Yeah, that's interesting in terms of the you know, the heart rate monitors to be able to really act as a bit of a, a governor so they don't go above that and you know curious for yourself in terms of you know not using the heart rate monitors at different intensities is that just more relying on subjective wellness or from your experience just in terms of how you've prepared can you can walk us through that
0: yeah i'm not a i'm not a huge fan of, of gadgets really for most of my training um and i've uh I think that's something I've picked up from the coaches I've had in the past. I've been very lucky to have some great coaches early on that has a lot of experience. Um, and, uh, and most of them were kind of like the old school mentality uh, uh, where you, you go by effort and you, you go by your, your last race effort. So say if I'm thinking of like a, a tempo or like threshold, threshold effort. Um, I go off of like my, my last race um, and I'll use like my convert into like a one-hour race pace mm-hmm. and that will be my threshold effort. Uh, and usually I'll hold that until either um, I race again and improve my times um, or if it's been like six to eight weeks and I'm using the same pace and I'm seeing that like a few weeks in a row I'm, I'm really like nailing all my workouts and it's starting to be a little comfortable then I'll, I'll kind of up that. Um, and, and I find though like with years now I just I just kind of know it's like we you know my coach that I have right now Dave Reed like he rarely talks about pacing uh, at workouts mm-hmm. it's just like okay go at this effort and I go at that effort
1: and those are efforts that are effectively you're working off the time then or subjective uh, perception as well or, or both
0: uh, yeah both so like typically like yeah he'll he'll be like you know about like 10k effort kind of thing and then yeah we'll we'll take a look at the pace or sometimes he will give me a ballpark of a pace but we're not um too obsessed with the exact numbers um because you know the terrain we we run on can vary quite a bit uh temperature and everything so but yeah we do have a, a good ballpark of both paces and effort
1: nice yeah i mean it's such a a great point in terms of the you know, we always talk about the art and the practice, and of course, the art form of, of over the years, gain that knowledge and, and understanding of how your body feels and works and, and being able to go off of that, that idea of the, the coach's eye. And it's, it really is fascinating being juxtaposed with all the data and all the metrics that people are, you know, trying to collect or, you know, oftentimes collecting without a real um, understanding or reason of why they're collecting it. And so they the data can act as a bit of confusion rather than than making things simpler. So I like that idea. And You know, yeah. circling back to what you mentioned there on the two a days, I'm curious to see. You know, when did you start to feel that that was a real benefit for you? And can you give us an example of some of the ones that you might throw in for for some of your clients?
0: Uh, well, yeah, like again, a lot of my training is based on either like my own personal experiences and then a lot of research I do on my own time. But like when I started adding doubles in, um, I believe in 2000. 2000- 2008 or so and I I found that like as soon as I I started adding double my injury rate went uh, Dipped down by quite a bit Um, And uh, so a big fitness boost and and everything I think it really just comes down to to again the frequency your body, you know just adapts more more stimulus to adapt to Um, And you can especially in the early stages you can keep this you know the same volume or even go up in volume but have each individual run to be a little bit shorter. So, uh, you know, instead of having to do, say if I have to run uh, 130 kilometers in singles, that's starting to be fairly long runs. But then if I split up with, you know, two, three, four, you know, maybe up to five doubles, Um, I can bring it up to 100 miles, 160 kilometers pretty easily. And that's probably a similar type of stress on a body, but because it's broken down into smaller chunks, it makes it a lot more easier to, uh, to deal with.
1: That's terrific. And when we talk about more of these, um, you know, common mistakes, if we look at the, this idea of the intermediate uh, runner now training for this uh, half marathon, what are some common mistakes that you see with clients that you're, coaching that you you need to correct
0: uh definitely the running too fast still on on easy runs like we like we mentioned earlier is always a big one gotcha um and then uh yeah not taking any time off can be a a really big one um whether that's like after a a big goal race and, and they'll kind of jump right back into the next phase of training uh or not taking like their um not taking a day off completely every week. Not saying that every single runner needs to do that, but I think it's something you need to identify for yourself if that's something that you need or not. Um, lack of strength work, mobility, uh, strides, and all that stuff. I find often, you know, I try to implement that with the beginners, um, but then when they get, you know have more experience and stuff like that and things go well um, it can be easy to, to forget the basics mm-hmm. so uh, I'll and I, I find that even for myself when, when things go well I kind of forget about the basics and, and all those those small little things that really adds up at the end because um, it's not as sexy when it's all stuff that you're, you're doing on your own at home that you don't really uh, you know it's not like going out and, and running some fast k repeats um, for sure yeah, so so forgetting the basics, I think, might be a a big thing for intermediate runners.
1: And, and raise when you talk strides, there is that stride length, stride frequency, both even for those types of runners.
0: Um, so strides would be um, it, it kind of like a, a twenty second acceleration. Really, gotcha. is what I'm talking about. At about like a, a uh, eighty five to ninety percent effort. Um, so it's fast, but well under control. And, and yeah, it's a good, good time to practice, uh, good form. Um, and, and for those, like, it's like very long recovery in between, like the goal is not to, to build fatigue, like, like you would into a, a workout. Um, so you want to have plenty of recovery in between. It shouldn't be an all out effort. Um, yeah. And it's just to practice, the running fast, really.
1: Fantastic. And, you know, now, Rayshan, if we kind of zoom back out here, I, I, I cut you off when we were talking about your you know your background your career you'd built up to these sort of half marathons and we dove into this conversation around how you can support beginners intermediates so for yourself again if we go back to your career around running marathons can you walk us through again you know what point you started doing that and some of the successes you had
0: um yeah well I I ran um yeah from 2008 to 2000 beginning of 2011 yeah I was most kind of higher level 10 Ks and half marathons. And then when I moved to uh, Toronto here I start working with uh, at the time they had the Brooks Marathon project it was called um, and it was uh, a program sponsored by, by Brooks of course. Um, and we had a bunch of runners living in a in house here in Toronto just by High Park, uh, coached by, by Hugh Cameron. And it was a program based on, on marathons mainly. So, so from there when I moved here beginning of 2011, uh, started training for a marathon right away pretty much uh, till I ran my first marathon uh, here in Toronto at Scotiabank Waterfront Marathon in 2011 and ran uh, 217 was my first one. Wow. Um, and uh, you know and one of the things like like kind of like we were mentioning earlier, people rushing in too much, for me it I ran so many years before running my first marathon that the training in itself didn't really change that much from what I used to do. So it didn't seem very scary. Like I was already running pretty high volume even before I was training for marathons. So really it was just about being a little bit more specific, um, the long runs being a tiny bit longer, Mm -hmm. but it, it wasn't really that big of a change, um, And then in in 2012, uh, I won the Canadian Championships in in Ottawa for my second marathon.
1: Wow. Uh, Not bad for a second marathon. (laughs) Yeah, it was (laughs) was
0: good. Pretty pretty cool. Um, Not something when I first started running, definitely didn't think I would ever consider, you know, call myself a Canadian marathon champ. So that was cool. Uh and yeah, from from there I start having some some health issues or you know, some issues with my back. So I, I kinda start slowing down the higher level running and start coaching a lot more uh and launched my own business, uh Pace and Mind, in twenty fourteen and, and that really picked up. So so Elite Running kind of took a backseat.
1: Absolutely. And if we you know pick your brain a little bit on those days where you're progressing into the elite status and winning the you know national championships you know you touched on it a little bit but what are some of the you know for coaches listening in for runners listening in who really want to up their game you know what were some of those key training points whether it's volume intensity mindset even of, of how you then progress yourself on to that you know up a notch to that elite level
0: yeah um, I mean it's it's such a tough balance and that's something that even sometimes, I, well not sometimes, very often I look back at when I was at a higher level of the mistakes I made. And it's uh, it's a tough balance between wanting to be so intense all the time, uh, pushing the limits, pushing the volume, the intensity in the workout. So it, it's really about being well-rounded in all of those uh, different aspects to recover from them. Like recovery is such a huge aspect that I didn't really... Pay enough attention uh, back when I was at that level and paying attention to my nutrition. Um, and again, trying to do too much because I, I was a late starter. I felt like I was always running with a chip on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. So I would run, you know, I've run up to 300 kilometers a week. And and now when I think about that, I'm like, yeah, that was probably, you know, over the limit. Like that was a little bit too much. For There's sure. no real point to that. But um, yeah, it tastes to to pay attention to each aspect and to periodize everything. So, um, you know, certain different times of the year, different, you know, you want to be pushing your volume a little bit more, or maybe you want to work a bit more on your, on your speed, work a little bit more on your threshold level, whatever it is. Uh, But it's very hard to do everything all at once. Mm Um, so it's to, you have to change throughout the year what you're trying to hit while keeping everything in the mix. Also, I don't believe in in taking any one aspect out completely because uh, then it can get pretty hard to add it back in. So even if the goal is not necessarily to be running super fast intervals, um, you know, just to still have that very short workout once in a while in the background is still um, very important.
1: Absolutely, yeah. You want to maintain those qualities i imagine for when you, you you do need them down the road and for somebody who's laying out a calendar for yourself if you're working with a you know more elite sub-elite recreational runner is there a certain amount of events that you're looking for them to peak for in a year that's you know reasonable or typical for you
0: yeah if uh, someone if someone's looking uh to train for marathon specifically i don't like going more than two a year um you know, there's the odd time it might happen up to three if needed, if someone's trying to like qualify for teams or something like that. But typically two a year, two marathons a year is a good place to be. Uh, and even every few years I, I do like a runner going a full year without running a marathon. Um, I find there's this thing with runners um, that if you run one marathon, you're now a marathoner. Um, <laughs> nice. Same thing with, with it goes even more with like ultra marathoners where you run one ultra, and you're now uh, an ultra marathoner. Uh, whereas I feel like you just should just be a runner. You know, should be a runner. You should be an athlete. Um, so you know, you, you should focus on marathons for a few years maybe, and then drop it back and focus on on five k's and ten k's. Uh, so it you know keeps that interesting, uh, and it's it's just better to keep you healthy for a long term and to keep the consistency up because I mean consistency really at the end of it is is what's going to make you the best runner that you can be.
1: Yeah, that's a you know such a great point and one that's been hammered home you know thankfully by other experts who've come on the show around whether it's strength and conditioning, nutrition, you know this idea of consistency really being the. King overall and how, just as you mentioned here today, you know, unfortunately, you know, beginners, intermediates are in such a hurry to get, uh, you know, their miles up or to see some of those results that it can, it can come at a compromise of that consistency. And, you know, if we continue to talk about the marathons here, Rajon, you know, if you're thinking two marathons a year, and I do, I think that's a great heuristic as well, just to dovetail into, you know, you mentioning changing those distances is sort of a natural way of, of modulating volume as well, isn't it, from, from year to year. So that's that's terrific as well. If someone's building up to those couple of marathons and they're in that sort of sub-elite, elite status, is there a certain, you know, how far out are you starting that training for them or that preparation, let's say? And could you maybe roughly walk us through what, what some of those blocks look like?
0: Yeah, typically I start what yeah you would call a, a specific marathon build up about three months out um, is roughly when I'd start, um, and but again, when you're especially at a higher level, it's not really that big of a change when it comes to training. Um, you know, the the long runs will typically go up to thirty five k or so, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes longer. Like I'm not against running a full marathon distance, um, but again, that depends on on how fast you are and how long you're going to be on your feet.
1: Um, How long it takes you. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, like I don't like a runner going uh, over, say, like three and a half hours or so. It's kind of like the longest I'll I'll go. Um, But if you're someone who who runs, you know, 220 uh, or in that range, then running even a marathon at a training pace will be, you know, well under three hours. So it's not as much of an issue.
1: Nice, and in terms of those you know, as you build up those blocks, is there a certain sequence that you tend to to rely on with uh, you know that elite athletes would follow to build up for a marathon
0: um it changes around a little bit with me i'm not really set on the one way of doing things um there might be like for one specific runner where I would experience see that like okay, for that runner we we like to start things with uh you know, a, a lot more speed and build into more like threshold, long, long intervals. Uh, but I, I do change it a little bit depending on, on how the past buildup went uh, and what I feel like they need going into the next one. Um, but the one thing that, that is pretty consistent throughout my buildups is, is that the later the, I get into the buildup, the more specific I get. Um, so early on in the, the early stage of a buildup, I don't really touch on even like marathon pace that much. Uh, but it's just during the, the last six weeks or so, I'll start doing more and more marathon pace. Um, and also it's kind of a good way since it's lower intensity, uh, it's a good way to, to get them to the start line healthy. Um, so I'll add some, some marathon pace in intervals, um, and then in, even in long runs for, for some people.
1: Fantastic. And, you know, now if we talk about race day, you know, it's time to perform, you know, whether you're intermediate, whether you're. You know on the sort of elite side of things, what are some tips or tactics that you might use with clients? maybe some give us some of the you know your strategies when you were winning championships and 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 how the mindset plays a role in all this?
0: yeah my mindset is huge um, and again i I find that consistency kind of goes into that A lot of people ask me like yeah how do you get uh, mentally prepared going into a race and you know having confidence and all that. It starts way before the race day. Like if you've you've nailed your training the last uh, the last three four five months, um, even if things didn't go perfectly, but you kept up with your cross training or whatever it is, and especially if you you've have, you have that on paper, you can look back and, and that will build confidence right there when you see all the work you've put in. For Sure. Um, and I really believe into uh, in visualization. Um, so visualizing both how you hope the race will go um, and then even visualize how, when you have issues along the way, how are you going to deal with that? Um, you know, if you're you're starting to feel low in energy, something's a little bit wrong. Uh, you don't feel like you have as much power as you would hope. What will you do? Will you you know slow down the pace a little bit for for a kilometer or two, take an extra gel, and then you kind of imagine yourself starting to feel good again, starting to pass some some runners around you. Um, so I'm a big believer in visualization. Um, and, and for marathon, especially, the, the fueling is, is a huge part. And that, again, goes into practice for the, the months before. Uh, so we do practice our fueling a lot during long runs. Um, so then when you get on race day, you just really just do what you've practiced the, the whole three months before your, your, uh, your goal race. Um, so it's just kind of like, yeah, just practice.
1: Nice. And in, in terms of that fueling and the... As you build up on those longer runs toward the, what you're going to do on the marathon day, again, are there certain parameters you're looking for in terms of you know, grams of carbohydrate per hour? You know, does that depend on the, uh, type, the, the level of athlete that you're working with?
0: Uh, it'll vary a little bit between individual, but it's usually somewhere between 40 to 60 grams per hour. Um, and that's something that you can improve with time. Uh, so again, with practice, with doing it every week, you, you can train your stomach to, to, to take in more, uh, carbs, for sure. uh, whether it's sports drink or gel, uh, cause, uh, yeah, it takes a while to practice. It doesn't come natural to a lot of people. Um, uh, but yeah, you have to practice every single week, uh, take in some water with it to, to dilute the gels and to help digestion. Uh, but yeah, forty to sixty grams is a good place to be.
1: And for yourself, again, when you're competing at the highest level, were there any you know, supplements that you were adding in? Whether it's you know caffeine things like that, along with the gels to to support performance.
0: Yeah, I did take gels. Uh, sorry, uh, caffeine. I did add caffeine both like uh, before the race uh, and also. Uh, during the race. So for me, uh, I was lucky that I had the luxury of, of having elite bottles along the way. Nice. Uh, so actually, the gels that I used didn't, didn't have caffeine in the gels, but I actually crushed caffeine pills and put them in uh, in my bottles. I don't know if this is common or not. Yeah, um, yeah so that's that's what I did. I would crush uh, half, so I would put about 100 milligrams of, uh, of caffeine uh, every 10K or so um so i would have like two to three during the race
1: nice and then you know along the way obviously caffeine is going to help with things like perceived exertion which is pretty helpful when you're pushing the intensity like that um what about on the tactic side of things did it vary from race to race did you have a you know a specific tactic in mind or was that something that you would sort of flush out as the race is going on and you get a sense of how you're feeling
0: Uh, Well, for me, for the races I've done since I've never done, it's a little different if you're trying more to hit a specific time uh, or effort or whatever it is, or if you're trying to win a race. Um, And and the race situations that that I've been in, for a marathon anyway, uh, was more about uh, having a goal of hitting a certain time. So, you know, I'd go in with a, a pace in mind, and Mm -hmm. go out at that pace and and, but of course that would depend you know we kind of had like my a goal if everything the conditions were great uh and then on race day we kind of adjust from there depending on on how if it's warm out if it's windy or whatever it is um and uh yeah, and then something. That sometimes that's something I would even adjust mid-race, uh, depending on you know if there's a, a pack of runners or something that's going a little bit faster than than what I had in mind. Mm-hmm. Then maybe I'm better off to go a little bit faster, but have people to to share the workload with instead of sticking to my original pace. But just being in uh, in no man's land.
1: Yeah, it's it's fascinating how on uh, yeah, if you're going for the win, how things might change like that around. Uh, dragging behind some runners and get that save a little energy on that side is is, uh you know pretty pretty good tactic yeah and you know over the years rajan you mentioned you know nutrition recovery back when you sort of started you obviously had strategies but it sort of evolved and things have changed even on just the what we know in terms of the science of recovery and nutrition so for you are there things that even though you're not racing at the elite level now are what are some of the things that have maybe changed over your career that you'd, you do now that you didn't do then?
0: Um, I've probably taken more protein than I used to. Uh, so that's kind of like one of the simple ones to, to, to try to get in a, at least one gram per pound of body weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, to, to take in enough food overall, really taking enough calories, um, especially again, at a higher level, we're already very lean. Um, so it's easy to, yeah, you know, just easy to monitor. If uh, if we see, that if I'd rather have too much food than not enough, really. Uh, if I saw that, you know, with time I'm kind of gaining a little bit weight, can't say it really happened with the the amount of miles that are even still run but these days. It's next to impossible to gain weight, uh, <laughs> nice. but uh, it's a good problem to have. Um, but yeah i'd rather go on the very cautious side and and eat a little bit of extra food versus just trying to to lose weight especially if you're you're trying to build you know you're in the build up for a race i really don't believe that's a good time to to try to cut weight or anything like that
1: yeah it's such a, so important isn't it to ensure you got enough fuel and energy on board to be able to support uh, the training, the adaptations, the recovery that that are going on, even on the immune front. We know that, you know, if you get into a caloric deficit, um, if your protein intake isn't sufficient, if your energy intake isn't sufficient, then the immune system takes a big hit. And of course, if you're catching colds and flus, then that's going to come back and impair your ability to do that most important thing, which you mentioned, which is consistency. You know, if you're sick and tired, run down, you can't be consistent. So those are, you know, those are some great points. And, and you know, today, on with your, you know, with Pace and Mind and all the different clients um, and folks that you see, you know, I know community is a big part of running. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, you, some of the groups that you work with and the community and, and mental side of things?
0: Uh, yeah, running with, I mean, that's a big part, I think, why people join uh, Pace and Mind or uh, also coach at one academy on the Academy on the East End. Um and uh, it's to have the community aspect. Uh, and I mean, I, I can't say that running, being a runner, you're uh, an outsider or anything like that now because running is, is pretty popular uh, all around. But still, to, to be with a group of people who have the the same mindset, has similar goals and everything, it just makes going out for runs at 5.30 a.m. normal uh, you know, same for, for me, that was a big reason why I joined the group, uh, Brooks Marathon Project here. It's just, you're, you know, I wasn't like a weirdo of running 100 miles a week and waking up early and doing all my runs. So, so even here within Pace in Mind, it's, that's a big part of it. You have people pushing you uh, every interval workout. It helps with the mental side of it, especially during the winter months um, when it's, it's dark out. Um, you don't really feel like going out, but if you know you're your meeting a group, it makes things a lot easier mentally.
1: yeah, it's something that I emphasize so much with you know clients, recreational clients that come into clinic of being able to find a group and joining a club or you know something like pace and mind to be able to to get that community bond, make some friends, and then all of a sudden, you know those training sessions are really a chance to just connect with people you enjoy hanging around with and, and the exercise. You know, for some people where it's not a priority for their, you know, to hit a PB necessarily, but to just get fit, it's, it's just a huge, huge part of it, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it just ends up being part of the, the whole lifestyle, I find, because then the the people you're training with probably end up being some pretty close friends, um, and you know they have a pretty healthy lifestyle, and you can still have fun along the way and, and go out for some beers after, you know, the runs or whatever it is, um, but yeah, it, it makes things a lot easier.
1: Awesome. Well, listen, Richard, I want to respect your time here today. So, you know, last question for you is, you know, if you had to give, you know, one tip and maybe we'll give a one tip to the beginner and one tip to elite, if you can, if you can spare two tips here, but yeah, one thing that you might tell a beginner who's getting into running, preparing for a marathon and one tip that you might give someone who's at that elite level to really help them get over the hump. What would those be?
0: Uh, get in touch with an expert. And there was early stages uh, I find now, um, with, with social media and everything, uh, a lot of people are experts. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, so get in touch with someone, um, whether it's because they have a, a lot of letters behind their name, who's, who's, who's been in a game for a very long time. Um, and, and get in touch with someone that you trust, um, and to show you the basics of it. Um. I guess that would be my, my tip for, for the beginners, and, and for um, the faster folks, I, I think it would still be to remember um, to look long term. Uh, it's so easy to, to forget how, you know, if you look at who's, who are the best in the sport right now, for the most part, they're still in their mid to late 30s. You get a lot of runners in their late 30s winning medals, winning uh, big city marathons, Uh, and that can be easy to forget when you're, you're 25, that you still have 10 years ahead of you, 10 year plus really. Um, so as to not act like your, your next season is the end all be all, uh, and to go step by step, don't forget the basics.
1: Phenomenal. I love it. Yeah. Fundamentals and having that real long-term, uh, goal and, and, Valuing consistency is so crucial, and something that again, experts in all sorts of various fields that we cover here. You know, those are some big pillars for them as well. So that's pretty cool. Um, well, listen, terrific, Rajon. I appreciate you carving out some time today. You know, where can people stay connected with you and keep up with all the work that you're doing?
0: Um, mostly, I think the easiest place would be Instagram. I guess not that I can't. I can't say I'm a huge uh, social media person, but uh, I have my personal account. That's uh, Coach Reginald. Uh, Rajan spelled R-E-J-E-A-N um, and then there's also my Pace and Mind account uh, just Pace and Mind uh, that would probably be the best or by email which is uh, Réjean at com. Awesome,
1: so folks are looking to get in touch with you if in the Toronto area or anyone looking for you know remote support, that would be the best place to go then
0: Yeah, that's it
1: Awesome, well listen, thanks again for taking the time uh, Rajan and uh, best of luck in all your uh, training this summer
0: Oh, thanks a lot for everything. All the best to you.
1: Thank you for listening to the Dr. Bose Performance Podcast. If you enjoy the content, please consider subscribing on iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcasting platform. Show your support. And it's also a tremendous help to the show and helps us to continue to attract high-quality guests. If you haven't heard, my new book, Peak, the new science of athletic performance that is revolutionizing sports, is out and I'm pleased to announce we actually hit the Amazon bestseller list in Canada and in the US in sports medicine, physical medicine and rehab and holistic medicine categories. So you can find out more info on that and the expert insights at athleteevolution.org. That's athleteevolution.org. And of course, you can pick up a copy on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Chapters Indigo, Waterstones, or your local book sellers. Awesome. If you have any questions or want to leave a comment on today's episode, you can reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Dr. Bubbs. And thanks again, folks, for listening, and we'll see you all next week with more expert insights. The Dr. Bubs Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended
0: to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcasts.